what's going on everybody my name is blake johnson welcome to another rendition another episode of wired in great to have you with us today i'm joined as always by my esteemed partner in crime spencer coles how are you doing spencer not too bad and hey we can't have people knowing about my my steamed reputation in crime all right <laughs> we have that getting around it's... too far to, to prying years yeah i mean it's i i think it's impressive but i guess it makes sense that you don't want everybody knowing about it you know it, um, might, it might it might upset some people just just some so <laughs> well hey you can do what liam neeson does and just turn yourself in and and you'll you'll Don't have you like a couple years, couple years in prison, but you know it'll be worth it. You just gotta, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I uh, I just I just watched a Honest Thief Liam Neeson movie, and uh, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good, and uh, yeah, I've heard um I've heard really good things about it. I need to, uh, man. There's a there's a ton of stuff I need to sit down just need to sit down and watch because um I just I've been so behind on you know just it's, on film and like shows and stuff in general so it's probably because you've been watching and re-watching uh loki right and you've just been so uh, yeah, impressed yeah. by the insane amount of quality that goes into making a show like that which they have mm, yep just have done 24 hour uh, repeat that's right i mean and they have the assembled making of for loki out now so you can watch that too while you're watching the show so <laughs> you just can't yeah, get enough I of just, it right you know, and it, and it's funny because when that show, uh, I guess this kind of segues into what we're, what we're gonna be talking about today. But just like, it just it's just funny because whenever I, because um, the first episode, I, I just kind of blew me away with how much it can. And and this is somewhat delving into spoiler territory, so we'll we'll give you guys some give you guys a fair bit of spoiler warnings before we get too far into it but um but yeah it just it surprised me how much the first episode just kind of undermines like the entirety of the mcu like it just because it, it basically it just shatters its own core premise within like the first 10 minutes of the show and i i just you know i made it i, I think it was either on twitter or facebook or whatever but i just made a, a quick post about you know like how because I, I I I had a feeling that Loki was gonna be bad, but I didn't think it was gonna be like catastrophically bad. I didn't, <laughs> but like I don't know, and maybe I'm in the minority on this, but like to, I just I I could not walk away from Loki with the impression that the show has just like catastrophically undermined the entire Infinity Saga. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and you know, going into it, I I actually enjoyed the first episode. Um, I liked what they did with mm. with Loki and him like seeing, you know, what was going to happen to him. I, I thought it was risky to do that because I was like, I guess we'll see where the show goes. But I, uh, it seems like each time I see certain shows try to pull that off. It doesn't work. I mean, there's a reason. There's a reason with, uh, with multiverse and stuff. Yeah, there, and seeing your own future and stuff. I mean, there's a reason why uh, Doctor Brown said, you know, destroy the space-time continuum, and you can't do that, Marty. <laughs> he had a reason yeah. for that. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I didn't, I, I didn't mind what they did with Loki as far as as that goes, and him like admitting at the end, you know, why he does what he does. I thought that was pretty interesting, but the thing is, 
and I guess we'll get into this even more in detail, but after finishing the series, and it's only six episodes, I've come to realize that, yet again, these franchises need to stop delving into time travel and multiverse stuff. I mean, it's cool and everything, but if you if you know the history of, I think it's, is it DC Comics that did this? I think I think DC Comics did I'm this. I'm fairly certain DC they, Comics has done this. They they did this kind of multiverse thing, and it got. Mm. If you know the if you go back and look at the history of it, it got so out of hand, and it got so messed up that they had to go back and do. I think it was the Crisis of Infinite Earths, um, and they they didn't do it this way in the show, but they they did it in the comics where they basically took all of that and destroyed it and made it one. Well, I guess they did kind of do it in the, <laughs> basically in the show. Basically, a days of future past it. Yeah. And they made it all one singular timeline because they realized, oops, this is too messy and we're we're making way too many plot holes for us to, to cover up. So we know from from history that this leads to a lot of stuff that you just can't fix. Yeah, a lot of continuity issues. And um, and I think, and again, it just goes to show like, 99.9% of the time, unless there's just some piece of media out there that exists that, that incorporates multiverse well, like, the problem that you delve whenever you incorporate multiverse is that you have to really put in the amount of, like, time and work in order to have it not be, not essentially mess with everything in terms of continuity-wise, and it just, it you know, it, nine most writers are too lazy to actually incorporate it to a degree where it actually makes sense mm -hmm. um because it just it just convolutes everything um but yeah like and again so i think i i guess we should uh i should should probably provide some examples of that but like the probably the main pressing one is that we learn throughout the entire show that and even towards the end that kang has essentially been dictating and predetermining the proper flow of time uh and and utilizing the tva to do all of that so what that means is that anytime you ever make a decision that goes against the sacred timeline which is basically what Kang allows or what doesn't allow to happen throughout the course of the timeline, you will be apprehended by the TVA and basically held on trial for actions against the sacred timeline, which, again, we'll delve more into why that's nonsensical. And then you are pruned and sent to the void where you will be devoured by a giant gas monster thing um now there's basically all of this basically and it's even addressed in the show it essentially establishes that there, there throughout the entire infinity saga there has never been free will period um now of course uh, we talked a little bit about this we you and i slightly disagree on this but Essentially, uh, Mobius himself even acknowledges that there is no free will, uh, at least up until the point that Sylvie kills Kang. There is no free will. So that means Black Widow sacrificed during Endgame. 
uh, Thanos snapping half the universe away. Um, Doctor Strange seeing 14 million different scenarios during Infinity War. None of that is none of none of those actions are a result of their own choices. It all was just Kang predetermining the entire course of events, predetermining the entire flow of time. Because otherwise, if you acted differently, you would be pruned by the TVA and they would just reset the timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think I think the point that I was trying to make I was trying to make is that I definitely see where where you're coming from, and I do think um, there's certainly validity to that. Um, my thing is, I still I would still say that, like Black Widow's sacrifice, for instance, in uh, Endgame, I would still say that has meaning to it because she still she still technically chose to do it. Um, at the same time, like I would also agree that she technically didn't because the fact that if she wasn't supposed to do it and she did it she would suffer the consequences by uh, Kang means that you know that kind of hurts the whole point of that um but i would still yeah. i would still say despite that um i could i could still watch that scene and and well, like well yeah no i'm not i'm not like, saying like um that that it ruins like like the execution of that scene at the time mm -hmm. what i'm saying is you have shows like this that are supposedly according to kevin feige they're supposed to be self-contained that they're not supposed to impact the continuity of the mcu yeah but here we have loki recontextualizing basically like the entirety of the mcu mm -hmm. um and they even had a meeting and it, it, it's just so apt that literally after the, the finale um kevin feige i guess went on record to say that um I guess he and a bunch of staff writers at Marvel basically had a meeting on how the rules of the multiverse should work. And I'm like, I really wish you kind of would have thought of that before. <laughs> well, that's that's Loki. kind of the that's kind of the irony of this, isn't it? Because Kevin yeah. Feige, you know, supposedly the mastermind behind the whole MCU, had all this basically set up for the most part um, since Iron Man, at least a good chunk of it. And we're delving into basically, I don't know, phase four at this point, or I, I don't, uh, yes, I don't I even know what phase one. Yeah, but basically, I, I kind of call it the the second part of the the master plan, if you will, because the, the the I would I would say the master the first master plan involved Thanos and all that kind of stuff, and now we're post Thanos, and now we're on to the next big thing that they're gonna do. Um, but it, it just seems like. And what they should have done, and this this actually just reminded me of Star Wars, instead of rushing in and just okay, we got to make we got to make new stuff because we have we have Star Wars now, we got to make new stuff, and not really having a plan, they should have taken some extra time off, formed a plan, and then executed it, and they could have done it a lot better. I feel like it. This is kind of leading in that same direction with the MCU because from the shows that we've seen so far. There doesn't really seem to be a big plan, and maybe there will be in the movies, um, but right now it just seems like, especially with this show, what you were talking about, it just seems like they're going against their own stuff, and what they claimed was, oh, this is not, like you said, this is not violating continuity. Well, it's pretty much been doing 
all of that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and, I think, and, and again, you know, I always kind of focus on stories that folk that, that try to remain consistent in terms of the standards that they set, mm-hmm. uh, when it pertains to world building and th- within the first episode, we see them just completely drop the ball on that because again, uh, spoilers, but so Loki is basically captured by the TVA and he's brought before, I guess this judge, uh, judge Rinslayer. And, um, basically she points out that, Oh, the Avengers going back in time during Endgame. Oh, that all, all of that was totally fine. That all was supposed to happen, but you grabbing the Tesseract wasn't, but our, there's a problem with that because if, the Avengers never went back in time, then Loki would have never been given the opportunity to steal the Tesseract during that moment. So, therefore, their actions cr- basically resulted in the creation of a Nexus event. Well, so, and- no matter how the show attempts to slice it, mm-hmm. th- they're still responsible for creating a Nexus event, which, again, shatters the whole premise of basically monitoring the flow of time to prevent Nexus events. Yeah. Like, if what they did was supposed to happen, well, then that completely contradicts their whole standard of trying to prevent branching timelines from creating a whole, you know, a whole multiversal war or whatever. Well, and, and, and to play into that, too, I mean, they're supposed to know all this stuff about different, you know, multiverses and what's going to happen here. But if they... If they so they're saying you know the Avengers were supposed to do this they were supposed to go back in time and do all this mm-hmm. stuff well they obviously would have known that the Tesseract would have been dropped right in front of Loki you're really telling me that they were not expecting Loki the the god of mischief to pick up that Tesseract <laughs> and disappear yeah, exactly. they were they didn't see that coming that you know and yeah you, all they would have had to have done is just show up prevent him from stealing the tesseract it's it. it's it's like you know in the first two episodes his his confrontations with uh, mobius and how he's like oh we you know you think you're so smart but we we've been watching you we know all about you blah 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 it's like well apparently you didn't know him enough to know that he was going to grab the <laughs> tesseract yeah. like how does that make any sense <laughs> like, of course he would try to you know like act on self-preservation like like, I don't feel like Loki would just allow himself to be taken in. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, um, and and again, going back to Mobius, and, and this, I think you kind of touched on this earlier. Um, there's even a moment where Mobius attempts to, he's like, he's basically like interrogating uh, Loki, right? And he's showing him, I guess, all the, the, the course of events throughout his life. Mm-hmm. And he attempts to hold him morally accountable for like, doing horrible things to people and it's like well what what is what should it matter what should it matter like i'm predetermined to make all of these actions anyway like yeah that's a good point the, it's like you're and and even kang does it at the end of the finale whenever he basically um basically points out that like sylvie's a supposed hypocrite and that they've all done horrible things it's like okay but you're kind of the one dictating whether or not they are basically committing horrible actions or not. Like, you're the one dictating the proper flow of time. Like, 
that doesn't really fit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. It's like they shouldn't have as much of a problem with Loki's decisions because, according to their own logic, these things are supposed to happen. So yeah, why, all, why, yeah. why are they so bothered by them doing what is supposedly, you know, going along with the natural flow of their sacred timeline? That makes no sense. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and he's just like, "Do you enjoy hurting people?" It's like, well. Like, how would he know? Because he's predetermined to do all of that anyway. Like, yeah. It's like, even if he did, like, how could you hold him morally accountable for that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, and then, of course, we have to address the, um, and again, I know people are going to blow this out of proportion. I don't necessarily, like, I don't have a intrinsic problem with the show writers incorporating a female variant of Loki, but she just shows up out of nowhere and is not only a female variant of him, but is supposedly better than him at like everything that he does that like, and and it feels like Loki is kind of the butt end of the joke, like to serve her, like this, the interest of this female character. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, it's, it's really bizarre. And, 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 and they try to like, they, they, they try to have Loki like hold like a romantic interest for her. Um, when it's just, it's just it's just so bizarre. Like you would never picture twenty twelve Loki to be the romantic philanthropists. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just me. But it's just like it's so, it's so weird. Yeah, and it seems like, because I, I totally agree with that, it seems like over the course of the season, they've just, I don't know, they've just really lowered his character and his skills, because just, uh, you know, the thing I always loved about Loki was that he he, he always had a one-up over the heroes. If they thought they had him, then he had some sort of trick up his sleeve. And yet, yeah, in this, like Loki wasn't weak, you know what I mean? No, like, he wasn't yeah. weak. I mean, he, there was a reason that he was so formidable in the first Avengers and in the Thor films and how he was able to live, you know, all those times. Oh, um, it bothers it bothers me so much that they just he he like refuses to use his abilities during this whole series. Like like during the train fight on Lamentis, like he barely ever uses his magic during like like encounters or like you know what i mean it's it's super like well and and what was that what was that scene in the train when they got knocked out of the window or something did he lose something or did they actually get thrown out or something because i feel like that whenever that move happened um i was like that that mcu loki i'm familiar with would not have been caught off guard like that it, it was yeah, like yeah. So such... what they do? So what they do is, so there's two guards. They grab him and throw him out the window. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you all, but what was 2012? Well, Loki throughout the entire Infinity Saga. What was he notorious for? Making other Lokis. Okay. <laughs> he could. He was really good at that. Yeah. And like, it just it it's so he never he never does this at, at any point in the series when it's like one of his most notoriously known and like one of his one of his abilities that he's most proficient with Mm -hmm. um it's just it's really bizarre um and then and then when they don't do that they have they randomly incorporate abilities that we've never seen him use before in the mcu like for example there's um whenever they're running toward the arc the i guess the 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 main evacuation shuttle right 
So yeah. as they're running towards it, there's this big, huge chunk of building that's falling and is about to take Sylvie out. But Loki just out of nowhere just uses levitation oh, yeah. and just <laughs> flings it back. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, what? Like, when when have we ever seen Loki do I- anything like this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, dude, it's, I, I was like, I, I kind of like paused for a minute and I was just like, what? What? Like, because I, because like I kind of was like second guessing myself. I was like, like, did he, did he ever use this power before? And I was like going back trying to look for the closest, the closest example was I think it's during Dark World whenever he's in that prison cell and he basically uses like, like a collection of energy to just knock everything back. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't perceive that as like telekinesis. Is more just like using raw like power. Oh yeah, know, maybe that's just me. Yeah, I I remember being kind of taken aback by that because I was like, you know, I feel like that power could have come in handy in like one of the earlier films. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and I just I couldn't get into Sylvie's character much just because it felt like. It felt like she didn't really. There wasn't much to invest in with her character, you know. She was just, yeah. Well, she, she was, was just angry, and she wanted to take out the the timekeepers, and it just. And then you know, it was her way, and Loki, the you know Tom Hiddleston Loki, had to follow her wherever she went, and he just oh, was, but I just want you to be okay. Yeah, I just, that's all I want. I'm like, who is this Loki? Like, who is? Who is yeah. this Loki? And, and like the, what and, the heck? Like, you and know the fact I mean? when they when they kiss at the at the end and then she deceives him and pushes him back, I'm like, you really didn't see that coming. The guy that constantly gets onto Thor, the god for of not, mischief, for not for not catching his his age old tricks, and he doesn't see that coming with her. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, the literal god of mischief doesn't foresee that as being possible. And just, it's it's not even just any old random villain. It's the literal variant, female variant of himself. Of and, himself, yeah. Like, oh. Well, in like in in you, you you touched on something that um in particular with Sylvie's character. So Kang establishes in the finale that Sylvie and Loki reaching them was like all part of his plan. It was all predetermined, right? But if that's the case then why did he invest so much time in the TVA trying to prune her from existence? Mm-hmm. What what was the point in that? Like, because they, they literally established, I think, in, I think it's in episode four, that basically her existence on the timeline is a Nexus event. Um, which only brings even more questions. It's like, okay, so if she's existed throughout multiple apocalypses, like, during her lifetime, right? And we have no idea how old she is, like, because, like again, she uh, points out that she was pruned well before um, Tom Hiddleston's Loki was even existed. Mm. So we have no idea how old she actually is. And to my understanding, like, I would assume that her existence popping up at multiple places throughout the timeline would, like, heavily screw with time on a drastic measure yeah um, and not to mention that they don't remain consistent with the uh the apocalypse standard or law that they uh, attempt to implement in the show because um like it, it like it's just, yeah because they they so 
to, 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 to shortly touch on this. In one episode, they claim that, oh, well, anything that you do during a pop, like anything that you during, do during an apocalypse can't be registered as variant energy or like variant interference because everything in that immediate vicinity is going to get wiped out anyway. Mm-hmm. But in another episode, their like weird love interest like creates a huge spike in like variant energy. It's like, okay. But then there's another moment shortly after that where Hunter B-15 goes in to Sylvie's cell and teleports her back to Alabama, the uh, uh, one of the main apocalypses that she was hiding out in, and has her restore her memories. Now, how would that not be registered as a Nexus event? Because we've already shattered the consistency of that standard to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, again, yeah. it's just one big mess, and who knows what they're going to do with with the next stuff i mean we've got we've got hawkeye and we've got she hulk and we've got a few others coming up and then we've got oh we've got dr strange the multiverse of madness which is i guess probably like the the next big one um Mm -hmm. as far as um importance goes and yeah i just again it just feels like the direction that they're taking with the mcu now is nowhere near as interesting as it was before with with Thanos and yeah, the Infinity Stones and you know and the characters that they were building up too during that whole time leading up to the Infinity War and, and such they just did such a better job with those characters and it just feels mm-hmm. like with these characters they're running out of stuff to do so okay well let's bring let's bring different variants of these characters and let's you know let's just have these characters do things that they would never normally do and let's see if that changes things up a little bit. And it's like, <laughs> and people are eating it up. I mean, people people are barking like seals for it, man. Like, it, and that's the other thing too. Is like, and I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. But um, I was I was chatting with somebody the other day, and um, we kind of came away with the conclusion like it, it really seems like people are more excited for to like to get to the stinger portion of whatever it is that they're watching, rather than the actual story material itself. Like, because it's all more predicated on what the next thing establishes and mm-hmm. what the next thing sets up and what the next thing sets up rather than the actual content itself. It's just like, I don't know. I was, I was curious to get your, your thoughts on that. That That's kind of like the impression that I've been getting with this phase of the MCU anyway. Um, yeah, and I think I, I would say part of that is due to conditioning because we've gotten used to at this point each phase of the MCU leading up to something else. And, you know, on the, on the positive side, they have done largely a pretty good job at telling a good story during the process, not just focusing on what's coming next, but because they've, they've, you know, done so well with that prior, people are just expecting what's the next thing going to be. And it's just easy to phase out and not really pay attention to what's happening right in front of you, especially as it relates to content that happened prior. So, yeah, exactly. and, and I think even beyond just Marvel movies, I think in general, um, it's just harder to keep some people's attention span and they just want all the flashy, cool stuff. I mean, I think that's partly why 
You look at... Oh, 1,000%, yeah. You, I mean, you just look at the Star Wars... I know we talk about this, seems like, every episode, but you just look at mm-hmm. the sequel trilogy. Yes, plenty of people have not liked those films, but they've still made over a billion dollars each. You know, there's still people that are keep that keep going and watching those stuff each time they make them. Um, because yeah, in the and end... It really, and it really seems like with writing, it doesn't matter about how good the actual story is. It's just like, oh, did it sell well? Oh, okay, then then you're then you're going to get bumped up to the next project or, mm-hmm. or you know it's it's something along those lines yeah and it's like well obviously obviously it was well made because it made a lot of money well that doesn't really matter <laughs> i mean yeah the, you know and i'll just use this as, as an example just because i'm trying to be somewhat objective here um but take into account the phantom menace all right very mm-hmm. well hyped film you know the first star wars film in the past 15 years at that point and mm. it comes out, and it was totally different than what virtually anyone expected. I love that movie. I think it was done pretty well. But I understand mm. people that grew up with the originals, you know. So there was there was that. So just be and it and it was, it was like one of the most successful Star Wars movies ever made, um, up until I think The Force Awakens. So you know, just because a film does super well doesn't inherently mean that everyone likes it or that you know yeah. or well, even that like, it's done well well i feel like with the sequel specifically particularly with tlj it's basically just kind of like lowered everyone's standard for what like good media is now oh i still because, see on twitter each time oh tlj is the best star wars movie ever made or i saw somebody say that they thought the last jedi was better than the empire strikes back and i was like are you kidding me right now <laughs> well like, and a lot of those people they like attempt to basically rewrite empire saying like oh well it was you know it was it it was you know controversial at the time you know there were mixed reviews whenever that movie came out it's like no it was generally pretty well accepted like didn't it didn't it actually win the um like the people's choice award or something like that or, I, or some, I can't something remember. to that degree yeah um but yeah it's it, yeah the idea that like it, the release of empire was as controversial as you know tlj it, it's not not even true well yeah um, and and here's the thing too that doesn't work with that argument because there were reviews during that time that were fairly critical of empire because it you know, the whole the whole i am your father thing and it kind of you know it blew people's expectations out of the, you know, they they had no idea what was coming so there were there were some reviewers that were critical of it but the actual people that went and saw it loved it whereas here the critics yeah. by and large love the last jedi and the sequel maybe not as much the rise of skywalker but it's it's like the it's like a one it's kind of like it's kind of like the situation with uh, the last of us games where you know people love the first one and critics thought the second one was a masterpiece but the people that actually played it did not think that you know so to so yeah, to, exactly. to, to compare the two movies doesn't work because you know again it's it's what do what do the people actually like versus the esteemed critics think you know what i mean yeah and i think like so there, there is a fair amount of that, but I also think, I, it, it almost kind of leads me to believe that the sequel trilogies were almost intended to be bad, so that it could lower people's expectation for like, um, expectations and standards for like how well stories should be told now, because now it's just like, the the main standard for like, 
that, that most people generally tend to hold with most media now is just like, you know, again, it just it's so funny because I was watching somebody do a video on Loki and their main criticism with the show, their main criticism was, oh, there wasn't enough of it. And it's just like, I feel like once we've hit that standard for like how media analysis should be done, how like how people dictate like or basically like how people perceive what good media is like when they just say oh there needs to be more of it just give me my content now I think we're just so screwed because it's just like oh it's just gonna be on to the next thing and on to the next thing and it very much seems like that's the case with the marvels that they're just they're just setting up the next stinger like mm -hmm. and everything that comes in in between of that is just irrelevant because people will just eat it up they'll bark like seals yeah um, i mean people care more about quantity rather than quality for for these things yeah. you know um, and it really seems like it really does seem like tlj and like rise of skywalker and even the force awakens to a degree um kind of kind of was the catalyst for that because they're like oh well at least it's not as bad as this thing and it's like well like well there's also a lot of contention on that but it's just like but yeah it's like that's kind of how people have how kind of how people go about like engaging with media now it's just like oh well it's not as bad as x thing therefore it's good and it's like no <laughs> yeah and, and now that now that the new stuff is out more and more people are realizing you know the old stuff actually wasn't that bad <laughs> yeah yeah especially with the prequels it, it yeah is, it has um it, yeah the, the sequels have very much kind of changed people's perception on those films um and yeah, it's 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 interesting to see it all play out, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that about wraps it up for our coverage on on that topic. Uh, there were a couple other things I thought we could get into. One one is the um, probably the biggest announcement in the past couple weeks for uh, for gaming, and that's the announcement of the new Steam Deck. And for those of you, oh, yes. for those of you who don't know what that is, um, so Valve, I believe, is the company that is uh, uh, yes. making this. Basically, um, Steam, Steam is the. It's basically the, <laughs> for lack of a better example, at the top of my head, it's basically the iTunes or Netflix of uh, gaming, uh, minus the subscription for Netflix. Um, but it's basically. You know all these all these AAA titles, these Star Wars games, Red Dead Redemption, all these these big games that you find in stores, you can play online uh, through Steam, and you just buy them, download them, play them on your personal computer. And so, with the popularity of the Nintendo Switch in the past like four years, almost five years, uh, Valve has decided to basically do a Switch. Um, almost and well pretty much a switch and they're releasing this thing called the steam deck which is basically a portable uh, pc and so much so that you can literally plug it into a monitor and it becomes a pc you don't just have to use steam on it you can go on google chrome you can you can play games on like microsoft game pass and all kinds of different stuff on there um and just looking at it just looking at the specs for it it's fairly impressive for the price that even the cheapest price that you pay for it um so it starts out with 64 gigs of uh storage and each model comes with um 
microSD expansion, but 399 for the lowest model. And then as you get into 529 and 649 for the upper models, you get into SSD, so it's a little faster and it operates a little better. Um, but it's supposed to come out, I believe, later this year. And that's that's kind of the 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 very general idea of what it's supposed to do and so yeah you're all of the really popular modern current games um they didn't get into whether or not you can play a uh, cyberpunk on it but uh you can <laughs> you can you can play pretty much all these games on here and yeah it's i guess it's the battery is supposed to be like eight to ten hours depending on what you're playing um sometimes lower but um but yeah i mean it and you can plug it into your TV as well. So just like the Switch, you can play it handheld. You can play it on your TV. Um, pretty interesting concept. But as we kind of discussed a little bit before we started recording, I don't know that they're. If I don't know, maybe that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they've stated it, but I don't know that they're. If if their goal is to actually compete with the Switch, I don't think it's going to work. Because for one yeah, thing, I'm kind of of that same mind too. Yeah. For for one thing, the Switch has you know they're miles ahead of them on on just console sales alone, um, so they wouldn't. I mean, I highly doubt they'd be able to catch up to those numbers. But even even despite that, let's say they let's say they both came out at the same time, um, you know the the kind of games it's it's kind of like it goes back to our discussions on uh, Xbox and why right now if you can afford it and if you're able to spend like four to five hundred bucks on a console then you might as well just save it up for a pc because when it comes to xbox pretty much all the games you can play on there you can just play online whether it's through the xbox game pass online or steam or whatever it is so i feel like with this it's it's pretty similar as far as steam is already very popular on pc so people that want to play steam games more than likely already have steam um, maybe it's reaching to people that don't have it yet or people that are just starting to get into gaming and don't really want to spend money on a, on a, a high-end PC or even a mid-range PC, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, the difference between that and the Switch is the Switch has far more exclusivity with their games. You can't play Breath of the Wild on Steam. You can't play Mario Kart or exactly. any, any of those because games. Because Nintendo, Nintendo is basically has exclusive rights to their to their own properties mm -hmm. so like you're not going to be able to go go on the steam deck and play like like you said like breath of the wild and just you know and have because like i feel like the, the the thing that's really been kind of the main draw with the switch in general is not only the fact that you can play nintendo titles and most steam indie titles like on the switch but the fact it, but also the the functionality of the switch the the idea that you can not only game like play games on the go but you can also play with a friend you know you can you know there whereas with the steam deck it doesn't really have that same type of functionality um now it does beat out the switch in terms of like you know there's more um inputs for for buttons and you can map out different um you can map out different bindings for your controller layout and stuff. But I think, you know, like, and, 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 and I agree, like you pointed out earlier, like Steam has such a huge, massive draw with, you know, PC gamers already that 
I feel like the only... Or, I guess not necessarily the only, but like the main demographic that the Steam Deck is going to appeal to are people who already have a Steam library, people who already have Steam. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a majority of that player base is more, their main priority is more performance than like form factor or functionality or, 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 or anything that goes along those lines. Um, that's just, that's just kind of my, at least my initial viewing on it. And I, and I think, you know, it, it, it almost leaves me to wonder too, that like, you know, and don't get me wrong, the specs in the, in the Steam Deck are pretty, are pretty decent, like pretty solid. I mm -hmm. mean, the fact that you're, you're getting a, a Zen 2 CPU with, you know, uh, an AMD RDNA 2, um, a 60 hertz refresh rate screen, uh, 16 gigs of DDR5 RAM. I mean, like, it, that's pretty crazy. But, I mean, even still, even with all that hardware, um, it's not... I mean, you're not going to be able to play anything super graphically intensive on it. I mean, it, it, best case scenario is you're probably going to be playing, like, um, you know, like, older Xbox 360-era games. Or, um, now, now, I will say, on a caveat to that... Um, I do feel like a big appeal, like kind of a, a huge appeal with the Steam Deck would be being able to play like, um, being able to like pull up Dolphin on it and run like old GameCube games and SNES games and stuff like that. You could um, run emulators and stuff on that. That would be probably the biggest competitor, competitor to, uh, competitor to Nintendo in that regard would be like, if you're able to like emulate games and stuff on the Steam Deck, which I believe, as far as I'm aware, because um, it's going to be kitted with, I think like a with with Linux. So um, yeah, I mean you'll be able to run like Dolphin and everything, and run old GameCube games. Which as of right now, the Switch doesn't have uh, doesn't have the capability of simulating old GameCube titles other than, like, maybe, like, Super Mario Sunshine or, or like, Wind Waker or some, so, something to that effect. But if we're talking about, like, just a, a catalog of games in terms of, like, with the GameCube, um, Dolphin still is kind of king in that area. Um, yeah, I mean, they, the um, Super Mario All-Stars that came out, like, a little over a year ago with... Uh, Super Mario 64 and uh, Super Mario Sunshine and Galaxy, those were all, well, especially 64 was an emulator. Um, that's why um, the aspect ratio in the first, in that in that 64 game is not full screen because they ran the emulator for it and the emulator didn't have, excuse me, didn't have the, you know, the same specs because it was made <laughs> it was made in the 90s um yeah exactly so yeah yeah and i mean the thing is i'd say there's a good chance that i'll eventually get one um it just won't be right away and quite frankly i think if you're interested in getting this you might want to wait and just kind of yeah i mean I, th I think overall it's a good policy to wait anyway and just mm. see the reviews <clears throat> excuse me the reviews um but especially with the, like the first generation models there, you know, there's going to be bugs on this thing and there's going to be things yeah. that don't work as well as they're saying will work. Um, so well, I, and, and the amount of money you're, 
you'd be having to shell out for one too. I mean, I mean, I guess in the short term, it's kind of a good, kind of a decent trade-off for somebody who's wanting to build a PC right now but can't due to the um, the whole the GPU sort shortage and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that being a huge appeal to that market. Um, but you know, let's say within the, like the next year or so, right? You know, the GPU shortage is done and you can get graphics cards at their actual MSRP rate. Um, you know, you're you're shelling out five to six hundred bucks for basically what is a handheld PC when you could very easily, you know, if you, and if you're wanting to play games on Steam and you're wanting a gaming PC where you can eventually at some point change out parts and improve the performance of what you're wanting to get out of your games, like you can very easily build a mid-tier gaming PC mm-hmm. um, provided after this whole GPU shortage. Um, you can very w- easily build a PC for five to $600 and get some pretty decent performance out of it. Um, yeah, I think, I think with a lot of these things, it just comes down to just being willing to wait a little bit because the thing is it and i don't even think you'll be able to do that with the steam deck as far as i don't think you can really upgrade your ram or upgrade your you know cpu or gpu or whatever your graphics card in the in the actual steam deck itself it's like whatever it however it comes is how it comes yeah um so if you were somehow able to do that then I might be able to see, okay, that makes a little more sense because at least you can keep it keep it going. But the fact that it seems like you're just kind of stuck with how it comes. I, I mean, you know, with the advance in gaming these days, there's going to be plenty of games that come out probably in the near future that will not be able to run on the Steam Deck. So it's like... Mm-hmm. How are you going to play that? Well, now you have to get a PC. Well, the amount that you spend on the Steam Deck, you probably should have put into getting a PC so then you can upgrade and keep keep yeah, with exactly. the times. So Yeah, I guess it just depends on your reason for getting the Steam Deck. Like if you're if you're solely getting it as a I guess kind of a substitute for a gaming PC, um I'm just kind of at the point where I'm like, man, just build build, build a, you know, a mid-tier PC for like five to six hundred dollars maybe get yourself an apu and just use that until you know you can actually get a graphics card that isn't going to be you know fifteen hundred bucks or some bullshit and just you know and and kind of go go that route um because i mean there's some pretty deep there's some pretty solid apus um that can run a lot of you know modern title games fairly efficiently um i think i think linus tech tips had a had a whole video on that um but yeah, that, that's just kind of where I'm at with it. You know, if you're if you're just if you're if you're just interested for the novelty of the Steam Deck, then like totally, yeah. I don't, you know, there's definitely no issue in terms of that. But I just think if you're buying this as a substitute for a gaming PC, I just I don't see that this is. I just don't think that this is necessarily the route to go because I mean, again. Yeah. No. I I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess. Uh, Moving on here, one more story before we uh, before we before call we it depart. before we call it good. Yeah, um, yeah, kind of going along with the same trend that we've we've been talking about in the in the previous segment with uh, with gaming. This this story really caught my attention about a week or so ago. Um, I haven't really seen any updates, um, significant updates on it anyway. 
But video game maker Activision sued over, quote, frat boy work culture that has tormented women. Um, Activision, they've, I mean, they've, they've been around for a while. They've made quite a, quite a bit of games. They're more prominently known for the Call of Duty franchise. Um, but they, I mean, they've made all kinds of other games. Um, I remember playing the original Spider-Man games um, from Activision. So yeah, they're 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 I a think big. This is more. I think this is more specifically with Blizzard. Yeah, Blizzard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're being accused of this toxic. Not. I mean, even more than just toxic, but like straight on sexual harassment. You know all kinds of really bad stuff happening um, at the workplace where I guess male employees banter about their sexual encounters, talk openly about female bodies and body parts, and joke about rape, according to the lawsuit, which was filed by California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing. Um, So they're being investigated, and I guess, um, yeah, there's women that have complained about being sexually harassed and groped at work, um, not being paid um as well as the men um and uh, i guess men doing these like drunken cube crawls where they like go around crawling around the different cubicles and you know assaulting women there and i guess it got so bad that a female employee committed suicide over it um according to the lawsuit yeah and uh unreal man yeah and actually crazy yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. Um, let's see. According to a court document, according to court documents, a female employee committed suicide while on a company trip due to a sexual relationship she had been having with her male supervisor. Court documents state the deceased woman had been suffering from continuous sexual harassment at work prior to her death, including an incident at a holiday party where a male co-workers passed around a graphic photo of the of the actual employee. So it wasn't just a photo of you know, a, a body part, it was her body part and they were passing it around at this party. And that's yeah. what led her to commit suicide, which I mean, good Lord, that's, that is so I mean, grotesque. I mean, I knew like Blizzard was always kind of responsible for a bunch of scummy business practices and stuff, but like, I mean, it's like, this is just kind of on a whole different level, you know? And I think, you know, and absolutely should like this, you know, it, and it seems like there is an abundance there's an abundant amount of evidence, you know, to suggest that all of this is legit because, I mean, to my knowledge, there's like a whole, you know, basically, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's necessarily like a class action lawsuit, but it's basically a basically full blown investigation being done. And if there, if there's enough, if there's enough evidence to this, to the point where there's like actual investigations being held for this, um, yeah, it's, it seems like all of this is, this whole story is seems to be pretty legit and yeah i just yeah it's oh sorry go ahead oh uh, go ahead (laughs) well and it's just it's so funny too because part of me isn't necessarily shocked that it would be blizzard doing this type of stuff because again they've they've the one one notable example has been like you know them I think it was either during a Hearthstone tournament or a, or it might have been an Overwatch tournament. I can't remember one or the other. Um, but they basically prevented a, um, basically a, a pro Overwatch player 
from competing in a like a like a World Series type event because he had tweeted out free Hong Kong. And uh, of course, Activision and, and Blizzard, you know, they they got to pay their respects to big old daddy China. So, mm, you know, yeah. it's, and uh, but yeah, it's just again, it, it, it doesn't particularly surprise me that it would be Blizzard involved. In, a, in another scandal, but like something to this degree, though, it's just it's it's kind of it, it really makes you wonder, like, how the hell can something like this take fold and like, you know, just be so prominent throughout their whole workplace? You know, it, it, it makes you wonder, like, how this is even physically possible that something like this could happen. Yeah, I mean, especially in 2021, when you've got. I mean, yeah. you know, the the Me Too movement and, you know, holding people accountable for mistreating other people, which, I mean, I, I've complained about how the aspects of the Me Too movement have gone too far. But at the same time, like, the initial concept of it, I thought, was, was pretty good. I mean, you obviously, you don't want people, rich rich people in power getting away with, with treating people horribly, women horribly. Um, and this, I mean, if, again, if this turns out to be true, which I mean, it, it, from the, from the reports that I've read, it seems like a fairly legitimate lawsuit and legitimate claims. I mean, that's pretty grotesque. Um, well, and the, the ironic thing too, is that a lot of these people who were like, who champion, who basically championed the Me Too cause more than likely are these type of people who are involved in these type of scandals like Blizzard, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's, it's insane. Like, you know, you have all these companies who basically virtue signal about how, you know, morally better they are than you for, uh, you know, championing this social cause. But then they turn around and are, like, responsible for, like, probably one of the worst, you know, workplace scandals, you know, by far in the gaming industry. Mm -hmm. Um like it's just it, like I don't. It's kind of insane. It is, and one aspect of this story too that I I wanted to get your input on is this accusation of um, women being promoted slower, fired faster at this at this company. Um, it says here I'm reading from I think it's yeah CBS News. Um, let's see, they got about 9,500 employees worldwide. Twenty percent of which are women according to court documents female employees are often assigned lower level jobs and lower paying jobs the lawsuit alleges women are promoted slower fired faster and hired based on their looks state officials said activision blizzard has um, dismissed these allegations basically saying we rewarding and compensate employees based on their performance um, not based on these other frivolous things that are being mentioned here and you know, I, I mean, I, I've heard it. I've heard it said, and you know, some of it. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on this, so I can't just I can't just straight up claim what's true and what's not. But you know, I, I have heard that in some of these companies, it is pretty difficult for a woman to like get into some of these jobs and and do well because it's so heavily male domin dominated with, the, with like the gaming companies. And that it there is more of a chance of them being like either harassed or not even harassed, but just not noticed or not promoted or just kind of making it harder for them to, I don't know, get ahead in some of these companies other than, uh, you know, as opposed to like these males, because, you know, I, I would 
venture to say that uh, males probably dominate more of the the gaming industry as a whole um, as far as like who they who they reach out to but i mean do you see any truth to that what's what's your what's your take on this hmm. so i think i think the main issue is not necessarily the I mean, of course, everyone should be paid properly for the work that they do. That's that's not what I'm saying. But I think what people should be noticing, what people should be placing priority on, is how the workplace operates and treats other coworkers, right? Um, because it, it, I think the I think the work environment is just as important as say you know, your, your compensation for the work that you do. Um, of course, we, we, we've talked about this numerous times. I'm, I'm generally not one who advocates for um, a quality of outcome, right? I'm very much an uh, equal opportunist, right? I'm very like, you know, everyone should be afforded the same amount of opportunities mm -hmm. to um, succeed in whatever vocation that they desire. But in terms of outcome, I'm very much vehemently against because again you're not predicating the outcome on the necessary traits um pertaining to like skill experience um and so forth you're basing it on things like gender race creed um th things like that and 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 i think you know i i can't necessarily say it wouldn't entirely surprise me if uh, female employees at Blizzard, though, were being undercompensated for their pay. Um, it's just because, I, and, and Jordan, P Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot. Um, women in general tend to be um, less assertive when it, when it pertains to um, pushing for uh, raises and uh, promotions and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, in comparison to men. Um, that's just kind of like a psychological, more of a psychological um observation that that people typically tend to people people like Jordan Pearson typically tend to um notice and i think it it really begs the question of is it a systemic like institutional thing or is it just a result of um most of these women in this workplace not being assertive enough when it pertains to um, gaining promotions and uh, raises and, and things of that nature. Um, I, I mean, again, I can't definitively say that, like, I mean, I mean of course, I'm not saying that every woman um, is, you know, not as, what's the term I'm looking for, uh, passive when it pertains to that. Um, but it, it just, it wouldn't shock me in the same time, especially if you have a work environment like that, that is that very much kind of hinders um, or basically harbors a, a work environment that is very toxic and hostile towards women, it, it wouldn't surprise me that women are less incentivized to be assertive yeah. in that scenario because they more than likely feel like, oh, well, I can't, I can't win. You know, I'm, I'm in an environment that is where it's physically impossible for me to get any form of leg up. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think this this also goes back to, 
you know, the conversations on on rape that happen on college campuses and sexual assault. And, you know, you've, you've heard the debate of, well, why don't you just report it? And you'd hear the the comment back, well, some of these women don't feel like they can, or they feel, you know, they, they, they're not wired that way, or they, they've been so scarred that they don't know what to do. And it's not so easy to just go out there and, and put your name out there. I feel like some of that plays into it as far as like, when you've been so mistreated, yeah, that a factor into it as well. Yeah. When you've been so mistreated and it doesn't have to be as the extreme as like rape, but like just you know, if if there's this environment around you even that is just so dominating and, you know, if you're working at these companies that the majority of them are male, they're going to have – they're wired differently just by nature than, than women are. And if you're surrounded by that, I could see it being more difficult to put yourself out there. Now, again – as someone who is just observing this from, you know, his computer and is not like there, I don't know what it's like to work there. So so I I can only speculate. That's what we're doing is just speculating. Um, So I think there's multiple things playing here. Kind of like what you said that it wouldn't surprise me. It it wouldn't surprise me if women are being treated that way at, at this company, but it also wouldn't surprise me if, in some of these other companies that it is harder for women to just, you know, take, well, take, I'm sure take it the could effort. Be, and I'm sure it could be a mixture of both, right? Yeah. Like it, it could be that all of these things are happening, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side of that, because all of those things are happening, they're not feeling as, they don't feel like they can be assertive enough to basically confront all these people. Well, not only about, all, all of the sexual harassment and stuff like that that's going on, but to also be assertive enough to be fairly compensated for their work or for you know to, to to gain the promotion that they've rightly deserved because of the amount of time, work, and energy that they put into whatever position that they're at, or you know I think it's a combination of all of those things. I don't think they're mutually exclusive, and I think that's kind of right. what we're getting at. But yeah, I, that's kind of more or less, I think, of what's really going on in this situation. But, I, I, you know, again, we don't we don't definitively know. No, we don't. But it, it is interesting, and I, I'm very interested to see how this is going to play out. We'll, we'll definitely keep on top of that and see where it goes. But, yeah, I totally agree. Um, obviously, if, if these allegations are true, then they need to – there needs to be some action um, on the part of the law to take care of that. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think this is going to do it for um, this episode. Uh, I guess a, a future programming note for you guys. Um, I'm going to be moving in a couple weeks to back to Missouri. So um, I'm not exactly sure how much access or easy access, I guess is the better word, easy access to recording and such that I'll have. Because um, I'll be living, I'll be living with my parents um, to start out until we find a place on our own so you may not get as much wired in content um in the next like month but we'll we'll see we'll definitely try to try to do an episode or two um while this thing happens so yeah and then once once that's all taken care of we'll be back in full swing i mean we've been doing this the show for almost exactly a year this this version of it so we're coming up on a oh yeah we're uh, we're coming up on the old the old anniversary that's so. right yeah 
we'll have to massive rager yeah that's right so we will uh catch you guys in the next one be sure to give us a five star rating and review on whichever platform you listen to us on there's i mean there's all kinds of platforms but all the all the major ones you can find us on and uh we would very much appreciate that so signing off for for today and we'll catch you back in the next one take care